Regular beats. What stuff? It's a popcorn night. Welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I'm your host, Jamie G. Esquire the Fifth, aka Top Dollar. I'm here with Magna Mills and the Soup Deuce to talk about what we've watched recently and to discuss the 1994 cult classic, The Crow. Guys, tonight, woke up worried I was going to have a hangover, but I rallied, feeling a lot better, and uh, enjoyed a couple of grilling beers, wine with dinner, and then I switched back to beers. Shout out to one of my favorite breweries on the planet, enjoying one of their beers. It looks a lot darker than it is. It's an absolute crusher. Uh, it's only 3.8%, which I love it. Love that about it. You know how hard it is? Usually you open my fridge, there's nothing but 7%ers and up because I like IPAs. But no, 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 no. This guy, 3.8, solid, English-style, malty, just perfectly crushable beer. Guys, cheers to you. Big fan of crushable as an adjective. I am Magna Mills, and I definitely consider myself a fun boy, but... For real, if I had to identify as one thing, it would be an Ernie Hudson stand. As we see in The Crow, Ernie Hudson's drinking the Coors Light. I'm drinking the Coors Light. And you, you're checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all the good ones. Just search for Dudes Watch Stuff. Find us on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. Search for us on YouTube or go to JoeBlowFootballShow.com. Brings you right to our YouTube channel. If you could, please take about you know, half a sip of beer's time length. So, I don't know, five seconds. Like, comment, rate, follow, subscribe. Give us that thumb. Don't be dumb. We really appreciate it. Helps people find the show. Thank you very much. Soup, how are you living tonight? Uh, pretty good, man. Pretty good, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing, I'm, you guys are all somebody. I'm not anybody. I'm not Skank, man. That's Skank over there, man. Skank's dead, dude. That being said, I got a special beer for tonight, dude. Talking about Devil's Night, talking about the Crow. I got a local Edward Teach Brewery from here in town, man, and it's called Devil's Sun IPA. Nice. So Devil's Sun IPA. It is a solid 6.5 percenter, man. Nice and drinkable, though, man. So in honor of Devil's Night in the Crow, I'm going with the Devil's Sun IPA, man. I'm going to pound these. Well, it's your choice. You can either be T-Bird or S-Bird. Just don't get uh, Jamie G started on the, the S-Birds. Hey, Ike, you shitbird. You want a little pie? <laughs> no, don't get me started on the S-Birds. And guys, cheers to both of you. Cheers to everyone listening. And look, yeah, we're here to talk about the Crow, but before... Before Devil Knights kick off here, let's talk about what we filled our eye holes with recently. We'll try to avoid any spoilers. Mills, talking about you because I know you're watching Jello Jackets. I'm currently on episode four, season one, so limit that. And uh, if we're going to spoil something, we'll do our best to give you a heads up first, including including us here on the show because you never know. Mills, how many shows are you keeping up with right now? My guess, something like 37. In a row? Yes, but not consecutively or in a row, if you wanted to put it that way. Uh, you mentioned Yellow Jackets. I think I've seen the first four episodes of season two. Very good. Uh, won't say anything other than if you're not watching Yellow Jackets, you should. Go ahead and do it. Definitely worthwhile. 
Uh, still keeping up on The Mandalorian over on Disney+. Plus. One episode left in season three. I still enjoy it, but it's definitely a different show than it was in the first two years. They're trying to integrate it with the, the greater Star Wars universe and whatnot. And I think that's taken away from the show a little bit. Happens with a lot of shows these days. No, you got to have a universe now. You can't just have a show. You can just have a show over on AMC. Lucky Hank, the Bob Odenkirk joint. It's a little bit over halfway through its first season. And it's it's fine. It's a fun little kind of cerebral dark comedy. It's not going to grab a lot of headlines. You could maybe see some award nominations, but it's enjoyable. Cast is great. I think it'll play really well on a binge. So maybe when it's over, I think it's only eight episodes of this first season. Check out Lucky Hank from AMC. Still keeping up with Ted Lasso. I mean, it's Ted Lasso. I don't have any problems with it. There hasn't been anything that's like, oh, you know, it's not Yellow Jackets from pushing people to watch it, but I think it'll be fine. It's a little bit, you know, it's stuck in the sports movie formula, I guess is the way I'd put it. But I, I really think that they understand what it is. It's only three seasons. It's the final season. So I think they'll kill it. And I, I've seen a couple of movies, but the random one I'll toss off is uh, Champions. It's the Woody Harrelson movie where he winds up having to coach a team of uh disabled or you know children with disabilities on a kind of special olympics type basketball program uh you got caitlin olsen in there uh cheech Marin, a couple of uh really kind of good supporting cast kind of thing it was fun it's not one that's going to be a classic or anything like that but considering it could be a little touchy with kind of this material i think it was still funny they let woody harrelson do his thing so i enjoyed that one uh champions Jamie G, are you the uh, the champion of the sun or the champion of the eye hole? Oh, whoa! Filling these eye holes, my dude. Uh, guys, a couple of things that I've recently filled my eye holes with, but not just my eye holes. We don't discriminate against other senses. Some have been ear holes, things like that. Let me start with what I've watched, and let me hit you with a few other things for that ass. First off, dude, if I'm going to watch reality TV, the only type, and I mean, the only type is survival shit. It's fun. I like it. I recently got caught up in a show called Outlast. It's out there on Netflix right now. If you like these type survival shows, this is definitely for you. I found this one to be really fun. It, it, it's kind of some big name producers on it too, by the way. But one thing I liked about it is there's 16 people. This particular season took place in kind of remote Alaska on a river right before winter so they had to ride through kind of like end of summer fall and then into winter really cool 16 people they got to team up into four there's sabotage there's drama everyone's playing the game it was a lot of fun man i really enjoyed that one eight episodes it goes by quick real good one to watch if you like that kind of stuff from the ear hole standpoint i want to shout out dirty heads uh last year they released their album Midnight Control, which had a couple of bangers on there. Super pumped about this summer tour because they're going to be playing that shit. But they just recent re recently released Midnight Control 2. Um, it's not a full album, so don't get overly excited. But three tracks on there. Uh, all three seem to be pretty awesome. I've been jamming them a little bit here and there. Uh, shout out Dirty Heads, still doing their things. That's an awesome live concert. If you haven't been there, go do it. Just want to say before I get out of here, shout out to Fish, uh, best band on the planet. They just did their spring opener in Seattle in two absolutely fucking heaters. This is the 40th year uh, run for them. So I, I expect every show to be legendary. 
they're on an absolute roll last this right now. I mean, I was there. The New Year's run in New York City was insane, and they picked it right up here, man. I mean, last night, dude, open set one with Exilla into Mama Dance. Uh shit, dude. Set two opener was uh uh free. I mean, dude, they they busted out a hood, a chalk dust, a reba. They crushed last night. Circus came to town. Like it was a whole thing. Shout out fish. But don't you worry, West Coasters, you get six more nights. They're going to hit up the Greek and Hollywood Bowl, three-night run each. Enjoy that shit. Wish I was there. And that brings us to Soup Deuce. What's up, man? Good call on Fish. I'll be looking forward to seeing them this midsummer here on the East Coast, hopefully, man. Um, But, yeah, what's up, everybody? I am the Soup, and I am here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff with the guys going into this crow conversation tonight. But right now, what I've been filling my holes with, man, hasn't been a whole lot this week. Hasn't been a whole lot. Like a regular on my, my rotation, which I don't know that I brought up yet or not on here, is uh, reruns of Seinfeld. I always like throwing those on. They always seem to stand up and never really get old, man. Um, so every once in a while, those are nice. But the one that I was really impressed with is something I haven't seen before. And uh, it's been out for a while, and, uh, and I never got around to watching it. But I recently checked it out, man, and it is the Mike Tyson Mysteries, dude. And it is fucking great. It's way better than I thought it would be, man. There's a fucking lot of them. It's like four seasons, but they're all like 15 to 20 fucking episodes, dude. So there's a lot of fucking episodes, man. And uh, it's pretty solid, dude. You got Norm MacDonald in the mix. Tyson's hilarious. I mean, the situations, it's like, I don't know, man. It's not quite, it's definitely not like Scooby-Doo. They go on like some weird, random fucking, like the, the missions they take are like really off the wall and shit, but... Definitely one worth watching out. Definitely one worth watching, man. I was, I was, I was definitely impressed, man. Time to beat yeah, Norm Macdonald is pigeon is uh yeah, the pigeon's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, it's but what I like about that too, um, soup is is you can you talk about binge worthy. I mean, they're nine yeah. to eleven minutes each. I mean, they they go quick, man. Good good call, dude. I'm like Tyson's mysteries. Yeah. And shout out to the dude Mills who has a T-shirt. Uh, you maybe like yeah, had I that. known with the CDI and onto myself or something. Had I known, I would have I would have been rocking my question mark shirt tonight. I, I purposely I purposely held out and didn't tell you earlier, too. And I kind of wish I would have. That's awesome. That's what dude. She you said. do have the shirt, dude. Like I lost a bet, like like maybe like four years ago, wondering what that shirt was. So I know you have it um maybe you got more than one but you're you're one of a dozen so congrats to you yeah that way you know when you see another fan in the wild and they recognize you you instantly know that that person is cool it's basically a cool card you can wear around it's pretty awesome and that brings us to our featured review for the episode last time jamie g pitched the crow soup and i bought what he was selling jamie g i know you were originally gonna pitch an arnold flake so the crow was kind of a last second pivot you love yourself some pivots why did you pitch it was because you really wanted to talk about the crow or because you thought it could win and remember you can't say a little of column a and a little of column b i desperately want to say a little column but i won't i'm not even gonna say it i'm not even gonna say it say it okay um listen man i was gonna go arnold and then uh, before i was up the dude Mills went Arnold and I pivoted here. I pivoted because yes, I thought it had a chance just knowing soup. I know he loves the crow knowing Mills. I know he loves the crow, but honestly, dude, I've been looking for an excuse to rewatch this thing, man. The crow was an awesome piece of kind of nostalgia for me. I love the character. I love kind of the hardcore kind of, you know, just like element to it, just brutalness but it's based on love and the world needs love and, and 
the more love, the better. Yeah, this is a winner, dude. Not to mention how absolutely epic the soundtrack was. I mean, come on, dude. This was back when, like, there was a run of, like, killer soundtracks throughout the late 90s, dude. Like, Forrest Gump. There was a bunch of them. Crow is way up there. Incredible soundtrack. Yeah. I pitched it for all those reasons. And I don't regret doing it. Not one of the soundtracks that's better than the movie, something like a high school high or something like that, where the uh, soundtrack <laughs> far exceeds the movie. It's more of an equal opportunity deal here. And that is what we're doing. This is The Crow. Here are the details. Like I said, the flick is The Crow, based on the comic The Crow by James O'Barr, directed by Alex Proyas, written by David J. Schau and John Shirley, produced by Jeff Most, Edward R. Pressman, and Grant Hill. Not the Grand Hill you're thinking of, even though it is Detroit. Cinematographer was Darius Wolski. Edited by Dov Honig and M. Scott Smith. Music by Graham Revel. Released May 13th, 1994. Had a budget of $23 million. Box office of $94 million. Running time is 102 minutes. Starring Brandon Lee, Ernie Hudson, Michael Winkett, Rochelle Davis, and Vi Ling. And the short plot synopsis is A Man Brutally Murdered comes back to life as an undead avenger of his and his fiance's murder. And that's what I get for using IMDb synopsis instead of writing my own. Absolutely, man. So just in case anybody is not privy to our, what we do here, man, it's a full fucking spoiler. So we're free to say whatever you want. So if you don't know shit about this movie and you don't want to know shit about this movie and watch it first, then stop listening. If you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what fucking planet you've been living on, but, um, whatever anyway we're here to talk about the crow and we're going to talk about all kinds of things about the crow which all came from this book right here graphic novel by jay obar the crow now granted the storyline is incredibly different and there's a lot of uh i'm not even going to get into all, all of that but it's an awesome fucking read really great artwork man and it's uh it, it's something you should pick up if you don't have it if you don't want to do that and you're not much of a reader then watch the fucking movie and if you've seen it a bunch of times watch it again because it's worth it and it's a fucking good one man if you look at the overall plot of The Crow, it's not just exactly breaking new ground. A dude gets wronged and he comes back via supernatural means to seek the ultimate revenge. Despite that, The Crow is a beloved cult classic that's more popular now than it was when it came out basically 30 years ago. So, fuck, man. That, that just reminds me, world sucks. Figure out how to not get old. That's what your, that's what your job is out there in the world. Soup. What is it about The Crow that makes it a, a cult classic that has endured for as long as it has? Well, it's visually awesome in the time and place when it came out. I mean, uh, you know, it's gothic big time. You know, I think that was very catchy back then. Um, the story is great. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with Brandon Lee and the tragedy there as well. It's why, uh, you know, I don't want to say that's why it was such a big deal, but that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, and I th like I said, I think it's just time and place and the and the way that movie was shot and the way it looked and uh, and everything and when it was released and, uh, you know, the soundtrack had a lot to do with it. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's just a good all around movie, man. You know? No, r right on, dude. I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on. I would say in addition to all that, I think just, you know, the look of, of Brandon Lee here is spot on, dude. The fact that he's like that that kind of grunge rocker from like the nineties and he's got the hair and he's, and, and he's just like, 
he's in love, man. And like a grunge rocker from the nineties being in love is a dude you root for because he's super cool. That's just basically yeah, at the end of the day, is. it is like, yeah, at the end of the day, it is a love story, but it's, it's also a revenge story. It's also supernatural. You know, it's a lot, of, there's a lot of layers to this. Like, are we pivoting? Are we pivoting to singles? Is that what's going on here? We're we pivoting to singles. Yes and no. His revenge is another thing that makes this a cult classic. I think there's a a generation of get even with you folks out there, and and this kind of speaks to them. But the fact that he was done so wrong comes back. His whole style of doing it, and they soften him up a little bit with you know with with the kid. Um, and his relationship with her and his cat, dude, sick ass, awesome cat is a dude who owns a cat and is a proud cat parent. That's super rad. I enjoyed that. But yeah, I think it's to soup said visually how it looks, how the story unfolds, the action, but the overall love kind of story with this super cool hip dude for the time frame. Yeah, this is a win all the way around. Correct. You are both definitely barking up the the tree that I am currently hiding in or living in. I think it's a confluence of all those things. It's a movie that was definitely of the 90s, but it still holds up because of a lot of the choices, because of the color palette, because of the gothic imagery, because the use of miniatures, practical effects. I mean, there is actually some of the first major uses of CGI in this movie, but it's to you know cover for Brandon Lee not being there. But they just really nail it. You think about the cast, it's a combination of, you know, either solid character actors who work forever or people who maybe didn't do a ton of acting, but they were perfect in these roles. Brandon Lee looked like he was going to be a star. You could just tell he had that quality, that magnetic quality as a dude who could, you know, pull off all the action scenes, but still kind of seem tender in a scene with his cat. And then you kind of throw on top of that the soundtrack, again, perfect for the times, you know, gave people another kind of avenue into the flick. And then the Brandon Lee of it all, just him dying. I remember being in, you know, being a teenager in this time frame, and it was crazy. There were so many rumors and things like that. And there was no real internet at the time. So it was all kind of urban myths, basically. And it, it definitely added a, kind of a, a level of mythology to this movie that I think helped it endure but at this point, I think, you know, it stands on its own. And we've all kind of mentioned it. How about that soundtrack, dude? It sold almost 4 million copies so far. You got uh, The Cure, Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Violent Femmes, and more. Uh, and we were talking, 90s movies had these famously awesome soundtracks. But is this one of the best, Soup? I mean, is this better than the, the single soundtrack? Yeah, I, th I think so, man. Um, I mean, it's arguably one of the best. It's definitely one of the better soundtracks of all time, uh, I think, man. And in, uh, I, th I think that would size up with any, on any fucking uh, you know scale. So uh, it's just good. I mean, for for what for what it is, it, it just like you listen to a soundtrack or any track on it, and you're going to immediately think about like either a scene in the movie or a part of the movie. It just gives the entire vibe of the movie, you know. And there's a lot of work that went into that soundtrack too, man. Even the score. Um, you know yeah. the instrumentals and stuff they're just it's perfect you know yeah. and then of course the set list with the well not the, the set list but the band list you know the people that contributed to this uh, it's just phenomenal you know and then there's stories behind every song a lot of them are covers believe it or not i mean the nine inch nails song is a cover the uh the shit there's a couple like at least four of them are cover songs but yeah and then the cure wrote that song for it violent femmes had that song originally uh, well before the well before the movie ever happened, but then they decided to use it for it. Stone Double Pilots changed the song they were going to use. 
um, and ended up putting Big Empty in there, which was probably which was definitely the biggest hit on that on that uh, on that soundtrack as far as uh, you know airplay and shit went. But uh, I mean, overall, it's just solid, and it just spells that movie and that time in life. That's good soup. All right, dude. That may have been the best soup breakdown of all time. So you guys are in in for a treat tonight. We got to do more shit that soup relates to because he just murdered. I can't even say anything else other than, yo, the big empty. How clutch was that? And damn, I miss a solid music video. Shit. We used to have like, like kids today will never know how dope music videos used to be, man. Like. You no, especially when it came from a movie, you know, when you get clips song, from dude, movie yeah. There. yeah, oh, for sure, dude. Like, you you guys missed out. Bring back. I'm on the, I'm all the way in the camp. I live there of bring back music videos. Let's, let's throw away TikToks. Let's appreciate a three minute thing and let's do music videos. But yeah, shout out to everything Soup said. This soundtrack rocks. Yeah, I could agree with everything you said. Again, you mentioned the score by uh, Graham Revel. That's also sold a bunch of copies. It's a very well-regarded score. Enjoyed that. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, they did Dead Souls. That's a Joy Division cover. And uh, Big Empty, uh, I forget what STP swapped it in for something else, but that's off of Purple, ultimately their album. And I know it's not their best album, but that was kind of one that I probably listened to the most for uh, one reason or the other. So even though it's, it's doesn't it's not it actually doesn't play in the movie nearly as prominently it's on a, the dude's radio at some point and i think it plays in the credits maybe that is because it was swapped in a little bit late in the game or whatever but that's probably the one i have a, the strongest connection to just because of the age i was and because of that album but yeah dude definitely up there in the uh the soundtrack pantheon for sure dude and speaking of the big empty that was the only official single from this soundtrack i mean we just we just talked about how incredible the soundtrack was the Big Empty was the only official single from the soundtrack. And, you know, by Stone Temple Pilots, they crush. It's a killer song. Great tune. Uh, it was originally going to be something else, as as Mills alluded to, but they swapped it uh, after the death of uh, the onset death, if, if, if we will, of Brandon Lee, which is wild to, to think, but that literally happened. And remember, I mean, for, for those in the audience, this happened before the Internet was a thing. Like, if, if you were born anytime you know 2000 or, or on like you don't know a life of like no internet but like dude this thing happened before there was an internet or cell phones that also had the internet <laughs> so back to uh re- real real quick sorry to cut you off but while before it goes away back to back to the whole thing with the stp song the original one that was supposed to be on there was a song called only dying and they replaced that with big empty because they felt like it was in bad taste because of the uh the what happened with brandon lee and shit so that's why that song got swapped out Awesome, dude. Soup, thank you for that. Super cool to know. Um, but Brandon Lee did die, and it was tragic, and it was horrible. As Mill said, he he definitely had the look of a star, dude. You could think he was going to be the he would be a household name right now uh, if it wasn't for this tragic onset death, which you know obviously doesn't happen often. I mean, how do you think his death impacted the way this movie is viewed? I mean, e- even all these years later, does that bring in some of the allure? Like thoughts on this, guys? A little bit. I mean, especially because of the the uh, kind of circumstances surrounding his father, Bruce Lee's death. And this movie itself, some people referred to it as cursed. And I think the interesting thing for me, at least, is I remember hearing all this stuff when I was a kid, but it was always from another kid. 
I don't really remember there being a lot in the news or in the, I guess I didn't get that many magazines or whatever, but again, no internet. Where would you go for news? So it was always, a, I heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone, you know, a game of telephone kind of deal. And I think that definitely did create, you know, a little bit of a mythology around it, but it only holds up this long as it, if the flick actually works. You know, the initial people will go, but if they don't like it, back then word of mouth was maybe even more important than it is now because that's how you heard about the movie, really. As a kid, you don't really care what Siskel and Ebert say or, you know, whoever's in the local paper. You care what your buddy you saw last weekend said. And I think the fact that it did have this mystique and then it actually delivered for the most part on the goods, it definitely cemented itself for, again, all the people of a certain age. But I think over the years, it's kind of expanded. But to a certain extent, you're right, that mythology probably does bring people into it in the same way that, you know, people still talk about the, the JFK assassination over and over again. It's something that will always be talked about, I think. Dude, I completely agree. And I think some of the allure too, is we live like, especially right now, you know, we live in such a crime culture type thing where we love crime investigation as like a, as a show. I mean, think about how much shit's out there for like true crime shit. Uh, I think this adds that a little bit because people, I guarantee you, there's people who are watching this movie just to view the scene and break down the scene when he's killed, you know, which is obviously the the, the major shootout um, when when they that go scene through. scene actually isn't in the movie, but... The actual shot, right, the actual yeah. shot is not... Yeah, but but that was when it actually was, though, though, is during... Right, they know the actor who fired the bullet and everything, and it's just... You, you know, you don't want to be too morbid over it, but that's the kind of thing I remember talking about when we were kids. Like, oh, where did it happen? And trying to figure out which scenes he was in. And I mean, it, it kept people going back on a, a sick level like that because there was no, again, no internet. You can't go look at screenshots. You want to know, you got to go go to the flick again. Yeah. And the thing about it is, though, is we, while obviously in good taste, they removed the actual scene, you know the scene that it happened in, right? Now they replaced it with something else, but you know the scene in which happened in and so that i think that brings in some of it but yeah the, I, I think on top of that it's just i don't know man it, it, this thing i think relates no matter what genre you play it to no matter what generation you play it to i think it's he was a he, dude eric draven was very cool definitely a big deal let's move on uh even though this is the story of eric draven as i've mentioned multiple times a portion of the story is told through the perspective of sarah which is the young girl who Eric and his fiance Shelly looked after. She's kind of the connection here between era, uh, between Eric and, and Sergeant Albrecht and, and her mother, Darla, Sarah's mother, Darla, who gets, well, I guess you'd call it a I don't know, scared straight, for lack of a better term, by Eric and vows to become a better mother and looks to be doing the part here with, with the revived uh, breakfast effort. Do you like how the film uses Sarah the the child and Darla to somewhat humanize Eric? Or would you rather they just kept the plot focused on on his revenge and it's just all about like Eric Draven like doing anything to get revenge on this? I like it, but it works because Brandon Lee can pull it off. He has that sensitive side. If they were trying to do it with say Van Damme or something like that and more of an action thing, I think I would be like, fuck it. Just get to the get to the kicky punchy or the burning or the swords or whatever here. I think it works because Brandon Lee can play both sides of that, you know, and you see him do that at different parts of the movie, whether it's his cat or it's Sarah or uh, Sergeant Albrecht or whatever. He does at times kind of let his guard down and let you in. So I think they they do well here. 
Dala doesn't get a lot to do, but you like the idea that maybe someone in this movie living is going to have a happy ending. Although I guess they they do a little bit. I mean, uh, detect, uh, Sergeant Albrecht, I keep wanting to call him detective. Ernie Hudson should be a detective, not a sergeant. He gets shot, but I guess he's going to be okay. But you hope uh, Darlin, Sally, uh, Darlin, Sarah kind of live happily ever after and whatnot. And I don't want to bag on her narration. It's not my favorite part, but that's definitely something they had to add in later because of the death of Brandon Lee. So that's kind of why she wound up with that that uh, intro na- narration and the outro narration. Overall, really good. I mean, it's always tough with the, the younger actors. So I think they really made it work well. And I do have to say, when I first watched this, I remember being that scene with the morphine in Darla's arm like weirded me out. Oh, dude, that, that scene still weirds me out. And I'll just say... I really appreciate you, you nailed it with Brandon Lee could pull it off, but I appreciate kind of this relationship between Sarah and it softens him. And he's so cool though, dude, because he even does it through like the lyrics of one of his songs, right. With it can't rain all the time. Like, I mean, the dude was just so hip and so cool. I love that they incorporated that into this, but he was soft and sensitive at the same time. Incredible character just brilliantly played by Brandon Lee. And again, I cannot highlight enough what a tragedy that is that we didn't get more Brandon Lee really, really, really sucks. But um, for sure, man, you know, that that's kind of where, where I'll leave it soup. Anything additional here? Uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go back to Mills's comment on the, uh, on that one scene that he talked about with, uh, with Darla and the morphine and whatnot. That was the hotel scene. Um, or there, uh, was it her and the fun boy hanging out in the hotel or whatever? And then, uh, yep. he comes in and shit. That scene took place not more than a stone's throw away from where I'm fucking sitting right now, man. They happened on a, at a hotel right down the road from me, right here, man. Um, that's cool, dude. Crazy. Yeah. Now, this film, most the majority of this film was filmed in Wellington, and uh, that scene was filmed at one of the hotels down here closer to Curry Beach, uh, between Carolina and Curry Beach. It's weird because so so much of it was uh was uh it doesn't look like Wilmington at all in any way. It looks like you know, uh like you said, a lot of it was models and whatnot, you know. But the thing is, back in the day, a lot of people used to dress up, you know, like the crow for Halloween and everything for the couple of years leading after. And this is before I lived down here. But uh, after I lived down here, I've never seen one person at Halloween. Even this is a town that loves Halloween. It's just kind of like something nobody ever talks about around here, you know, which is kind of weird. But we'll see if that changes because there is going to be a reboot coming out, which is going to have uh, Skarsgård's little brother starring in it and shit. And that's definitely, I think, a full go. So that should be something in the in the near future. But we'll see what happens with it. I mean, The Crow's always been a favorite of mine, and I would like it to be something that was more, um, you know, discussed every once in a while. So here we are. Let's lighten things up a bit and, and hold up, uh, hold on to our gasoline here because we're not there yet. Eric gets his supernatural powers via a crow. If you're going to be brought back from the dead and given supernatural abilities, I mean, I got to know, dude, what animal would you want to be your quote unquote crow? Mills, who's your supernatural spirit animal? I got to know, dude. I mean, realistically, it's Scooby-Doo, but that's probably not going to help me too much from a revenge thing. So, uh. Uh, just give me a T-Rex, dude. Give me a T-Rex. Be very intimidating. That's incredible. I was going to go with the penguin just because it's my favorite animal. But instead, I'm going to go with a hybrid, man. I'm going with a beer. This is half deer, half bear, spelled beer. And it's awesome. It's a beer. It's a bear with antlers. Spoken like a man who doesn't know that man bear pig already exists. Soup. 
I mean, there's only one logical answer here, and that's the fucking platypus, man. <laughs> Dude, do you know that a platypus has a poisonous toenail? It's a crazy thing. Uh, before we get into the revenge of it all, I do want to give a shout out to John Polito, who plays Gideon, the pawn shop owner. You might recognize him as the private investigator from The Big Lebowski, which we just recently covered here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I distinctly remember the shot of Eric walking away from the pawn shop as it explodes from the trailer. Guys, any thoughts on the pawn shop scene with Gideon, who ends up getting killed by Top Dollar later on in the movie? Uh, you brought it up, so I just want to confirm. This gets us done on our uh, six degrees of Lebowski, because we only need one degree. John Polito was in the uh, big Lebowski. Love this scene. Uh, dude was great. Definitely a top tier. You know, you love your dirt bag kind of pawn shop owners. And when he finally gets killed, first he gets stabbed, right? And then he's dying too slow. So then he gets shot. Uh, good death scene, too. <laughs> For fuck's sake, die, will you? Give me that thing. Yeah. Great death I scene, think, dude. <laughs> I think the pawn shop scene was great. I think he played it awesome. I mean, obviously he played that character great, but you know, I mean he shoots a hole through fucking uh You're looking for a coroner. Shit for brains. Oh shit. Oh shit on me. Shit on me. Just seals right up and then you know his reaction is just awesome. He was like, what did he say? Something like shit on me, shit on me. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just it's like the way he plays that role. He's just perfect for it, man. It's awesome. You know, he's just that greasy pawn shop guy, man. You know, yeah, he gets a couple of scenes too because he gets the earlier one. It's not with uh, with no, it's with the with the knives, dude. He gets the knives first one dude. there, then he gets a scene at the bar, yeah. and then another one with Top Down. So he gets a few scenes. He's not just in the one, but I definitely right. remember loving those pawn shop scenes, and they were a big part of the trailer, definitely. Yeah, dude. And and just the only other thing I'll add, because I agree with everything, was just how cool, again, we cannot say enough how cool Eric Draven is, but how cool is it when he walks off and the thing blows up behind? Like, he's just a badass, dude. He like, shoots the rings. I definitely yeah, remember the shooting of the, the rings. rings out of the shotgun. He pours them you're all looking in there for and... You're looking for a good moment to drop a big track off the so off the soundtrack. There it is, dude. Like, there's a needle dropper. Yeah. There, there's a needle drop for sure. I'm and, looking for something in an engagement ring. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's the coolest, dude. I'm looking for something. Soup is the man. He's on fire tonight. And guys, maybe this is also a uh, a stealth sequel to The Running Man because Eric Draven pursues his victims just like a professional stalker would. He initially got four guys on his hit list, okay? He's got T-Bird, Tintin, Funboy, and Skank. But let's pause right here for a second. T-Bird, Tintin, Funboy, and Skank. Give me the names of some other members of this group. Come on, come on. You guys got got, got some names for this gang. Um, Lenny Lion, Scab, Rusty Screwdriver, Tiger Style. I was gonna do it's, it's it's so funny. Our brains are so I was gonna actually go rusty nail. 
Like I actually felt rusty, rusty nail on this one because it's Detroit too. So I'm trying to keep Motor City in, in in similar themes going on. You know, they got the lions, they got the tigers. There's got to be a Cadillac too. Like, like I, I could, I could see that. I could see uh, uh, crazy caddy, crazy like caddy, C A D D Y, like crazy caddy. He drives a caddy yeah. and shit. There feels like there should be a fire blood too. Like I could, like that's that's. that's you know, possible. I don't. I don't know if these would necessarily fit into into this gang, this particular gang here. But any any fucking town I've ever lived in, where there's a there's a group of there's always a dude named Spider, and there's always a dude named Turtle. You know, I don't think they would be in 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 uh, in, in T Bird's gang here, but uh. For some reason, whenever there's a group of people that are like, you know, I don't know, uh, either, you know, bikers or criminal, uh, not bikers are all criminals, bikers aren't all criminals, let me take that back, but that kind of vibe, though, like, you know, kind of borderline criminal people or full-blown criminals, there's always a dude named Spider and there's always a dude named Turtle, man, from my from my uh, experience anyway, but those guys weren't in this movie, you know. Also true with Entourage, Goodfellas, and, uh, you know, your local park. Well, fellas, let's break it down. Eric stabs Tintin to death. He gives Fun Boy a fatal overdose of morphine directly in the heart. He blows up T-Bird in his car, and Skank bites it when Eric bum-rushes the meeting at Top Dollar's place. Which of these was your favorite kill, and why? Soup, you're up first here. Give me your favorite revenge kill. I do I do like the T-Bird driving off the fucking thing and blowing up and that was cool but i like the stabbing more tin tin man because that just seemed like the more the more violent more personal kind of i'm gonna make you hurt for a hot minute here you know nice dude yeah man (laughs) dude i'm i'm there for all that each one was so artistic and just and just like cool in its own way i mean the morphine one was pretty wild it seemed very fitting for fun boy um, but I actually like the T-Bird in his car because I like the build-up here, dude. I like the yeah. build-up of, like, he picks him up. T-Bird's trying to make a deal. He's like, come on, man. We could be cool. Like, we could work together. Like, you know, and the whole time. And he's just like, drive faster. Just got the gun to his head, dude. Like, that was a cool one, man. That's why I feel like that's why I feel like the fun boy situation didn't really suffer. I mean, because dudes are, like, just fucking getting high all the time anyway. He had an easy way out. The other people, like, you know, I mean, he made the other guys suck. Yeah. True. Like he just, he just basically, he was probably, he was, I mean, he was a heroin addict. So he was probably going to, you know, uh, an overdose was probably in his future anyways. So, but that was pretty wild. The fact that they were like jabbed into his chest, like that's not, you know, that, that probably hurt, but yeah, I'll leave him. Hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, Mills, what about you, brother? I got to agree with you. Go with T-Bird. I mean, not only anything else, just very cool. And it leads to the burning crow joint at the end, which I think is one of the iconic shots of the movie. And Brandon Lee walking oh, yeah. away with the, the crow on his shoulder. And shout out David Patrick Kelly. Been in an absolute ton of shit. You might know him from Twin Peaks, but he will always be Sully from Commando to me. And it's kind of cool that they kind of bring the uh the weapons of these, the abusers, so to speak, back to them because all the people Eric kills are basically killed by their own sins, so to speak. Like Tintin gets stabbed with his knives. Fawn Boy gets killed by his own drugs. T-Bird gets killed by a bomb in his car that he made. And Skank gets thrown out the window after he threw Eric out the window. So it's nice kind of the way it all comes back around. You know, like a good and proper revenge here. Good vengeance. No doubt, dude. And guys, we we also got to talk about Micah 
top dollars lover slash half sister, which was played very well by the incredible actress Bai Ling. She figures out that the crow is really Eric's weak point here. And eventually she captures it and, and is just, you know, definitely all in on trying to steal its power. And dudes, I got to ask you, how is she going to do that shit? Like, seriously, how is she going to steal this power? Are we talking some kind of mystical ceremony? Was she just going to eat the thing? Personally, I think it has to do something with the eyeballs. They showed earlier in the episode, her and Top Dollar were all in on the eyeball shit, burning that, inhaling it, eating it. Uh, at one point, he did like a gravity bong hit of like a burning eyeball. It was a weird thing. Mills, thoughts here? That's what happens. Uh, that's just, you do that before Sunday dinner in Detroit, I think, the eyeball thing. I think that's common out there, although I'm not 100% sure. Uh, cards on the table, my notes were, I think she's going to drink its blood and eat its organs. And maybe mm-hmm. sacrifice the body or sanctify it or something. I, I don't know. That's a, about all I got, although, you know, they fair, definitely uh, like, trailblazing on the incest here. Trailblazing on the incest here, the crow. Yeah, um, yeah, and they throw other they, they throw other chicks in the mix. Uh, I think that one scene is like I think we broke her. We got the dead chick in the bed, you know. Like, but uh, anyway, <laughs> fucking um, no, some back, shit. To the, back to the eyeball <laughs> thing. She eventually does get her eyes plucked out by the fucking crow, with, and leading to her demise. And uh, I think uh, I think the thing behind that was if you kill the what did he say? Kill the crow, kill the man, or something like that. So it's like. You know, once she had that that the crow captive or whatever, he was he was like taking he was taking he was taking on injuries and shit. You know, so uh, it was never it was linked together somehow, and she figured it out. You know, so yeah. Well, technically, what happened is originally there was a a whole thing where there was a whole other character called the Skull Cowboy, and he was kind of like the you know, the mystical dude who told the crow what was going on and that kind of thing. Well, by the crow, I mean Brandon Lee. And the crow was really just there. There wasn't the whole, if the crow gets injured, he gets injured thing. The whole deal was as long as he did revenge, he was invincible. But if he started to try to do anything that wasn't related to revenge, he would get vulnerable. And that's why at the end of the movie, it seems like he's getting fucked up. But then all of a sudden he gets better. And it's when Top Dollar admits that he ordered the guys because then it makes it about revenge again. So that's a little bit of the original thing. They wound up cutting the whole skull cowboy thing i think partially because of the people say it different ways whether it was because of brandon lee or whether or not they were going to take it out anyways because they basically figured out it was easier just to have the crow be the literal representation of it you just know the crow's injured he can get injured now so it works well for that but it was definitely a a deeper level probably at some point and this feels like as good a time as any here to uh to stop for a minute and appreciate just how awesome Ernie Hudson was. I mean, obviously the guy was was a global icon from, from Ghostbusters, but he's always so great, and he's in peak form here as the world-weary Sergeant Albrecht. We also see that he uh, he sat with Shelly for 30 hours, 3-0, 30 hours when she fought for her life. That was a really cool scene as Eric Draven kind of sees his flashback. Eric absorbs that pain and it comes back around full fold, which we get to uh, in a minute here. What did you guys think of Bernie Hudson being basically the Jim Gordon to Eric Draven's Batman? I wish HBO Max to take this to series. Truth. Truth, my dude. I would watch that show where it's basically it's a Batman thing, but you have the crow and Ernie Hudson is Jim Gordon and he's got the crow signal and everything. I would fucking fuck there for every Sunday it. night, dude. That's a Sunday night 9 p.m. or dude. That's a yeah, that's a that's a big one right there. 
There was some talk of the reboot being a series instead, but uh, it, it eventually ended up turning into a fe- into a feature film, which is what it's going to be. Right. Series would have been cool. I like the series. Yeah. Oh, dude, er- Ernie Hudson. Just shout out real quick. I mean, everyone knows him from Ghostbusters, but he was absolutely fantastic in the HBO series Oz. And he does not disappoint here, dude. Big part of it shows his human side, but also kind of that cool kind of, you know, detective that got demoted side. Like he's, I don't know, the only other person I could even possibly think of here is Bruce Willis. Uh, But Ernie Hudson was the perfect selection for this character. Yeah, just don't skip on Congo, dude. Look at you skipping on Congo over there. Yeah, shout out Congo, bro. Dude, Congo. We got to pitch Congo. I, I love Congo, man. Yes. All right, stop eating my sesame seed cake, seriously. Overall, though, you think about the the film, and it's a lot of character actors who are younger. Brandon Lee really wasn't anything yet. He was an up-and-coming star. Ernie Hudson's the one who kind of gives it its gravitas. And you look at the early scenes with him and Sarah, like at the hot dog place and everything like that. He does a great job of kind of being the anchor of the movie. It, the scene with him and uh, Eric, where they just kind of have the beer and they talk and the cigarette and all that kind of thing, I think is just one of the better quiet moments of the film. And it lets you really relate to Eric and to Sergeant Albrecht as well. And shout out his uh, outfit. He walks around at home. He's in his drawers and his undershirt with his police hat on. That is just one of my favorite visuals. I don't know if he just forgot to, Ernie Hudson forgot he had it out of the scene or what was going on with it, but that is just, uh, every time I see it, I fucking crack up. He's got a beer, drawers, undershirt, police hat. That's awesome, dude. I want to wear that. (laughs) And guys, before we get to the climax, let's talk a bit more about Top Dollar. On top of having pretty sweet hair, not only is it a badass name, He's played by Michael Wincott, who just always excels in this type of role. What you guys think of Top Dollar? Was he kind of a worthy big bad, the final villain for Eric Draven? And did he pave the way for all the incest and future prestige television shows? I mean, he just looks the part, doesn't he, with that hair? I mean, shit, dude. Soup, you're close, but you're not quite there with the hair, dude. I think he's. I think more about him, isn't it? Like, I mean, yeah, but the voice. He's got that. But he's got that. He's got the voice, like, man. You're spot super on. fucking raspy voice. You like. Yeah, I don't even know who voice, else has man. a raspier voice. You like. So very recognizable, man. He's been in plenty other. Like he, he's never. I don't think he's ever been like a lead role, but he's a really good fucking addition to play a role like, like that. Or you know, I mean, he's invented movies like The Doors, and he's been in all kinds of shit. You know. Yeah. But, uh, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I think he was perfectly cast for that. Yeah, my, my literal notes say pitch perfect 90 sleazebag villain but yeah. he's also yeah. the right end of creepy and competent like he's kind of crazy but he can still actually you believe he can run a gang and everything despite his eyeball smoking and incest having yeah oh he's dude, actually he's, dangerous he's, he's, just not a total loon for sure yeah and you know guys the crow is a great looking film and they don't shy away from their gothic influences at all which is one of the things that I love about it. And I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Eric defeats Top Dollar by giving him the pain he took from Sergeant Albrecht and tossing him off a roof. And he winds up being impaled on a gargoyle. Absolutely cool ass scene. It's definitely raining. You guessed it, even though it can't rain every day. It's raining here. Not exactly subtle, but it doesn't fucking matter, does it? What are your guys' thoughts on the finale here? Uh, this this final confrontation and basically the ending of the film. I mean, when he gets impaled on the gargoyle, 
cool way to bring it around. And again, this is one that had to play a little bit different because in the original cut, he I believe he was going there to rescue a different girl that Top Dollar had kidnapped. And again, he only gets his power back because Top Dollar admits that he's the one who ordered the guys to basically kick them out of their apartment or whatever because he wanted the the building or kind of whatever the, the machinations were for that plot overall i mean it's not the greatest fight scene it reminds me a little bit of well minor spoilers for john wick how the the end boss fight of the first movie is a little underwhelming because of who it had to be so here it's fine it's not a great you know kung fu fight or something like that but it's really cool i I, they got a couple of levels going on with you know the the various fights going on and you know the crow pecking the eyes out and uh you know ernie hudson takes that dude that he gets shot and uh sounded uh tony todd right also in this flick Candyman, dude. Yeah, he's been in a ton of all of those, uh, you know, kind of movies or what have you. Any other thoughts on The Crow here, specifically Brandon Lee's incredible performance as Eric Draven? Well, if if you want to kill me, I just figured out how you would make a sequel work. Because it's like, all right, how could he not be getting revenge or whatever? But then I figured out the whole pain thing. So the series would have to just be set on Buffalo and he could just subsist on the pain of Buffalo Bills fans. Oh, <laughs> Nice. That's harsh, dude. Here's the thing, man, is they did come up with a couple of sequels. I believe there were like three, maybe. Uh, and I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say they were trash, but it wasn't. It, they didn't size up to the to the fucking movie. As far as like just Brandon Lee overall, again, I think the important thing here is just he was very good at the action scenes and you could buy him as an action hero. But again, he still could be kind of soft and sensitive, especially in face makeup. That actually is is harder than you think to show. You know, we talk about facial acting and eye acting all the time, and I think he was really on his game here. Uh, it's hard to imagine anybody else in this role. You know, you go back to the time, put Johnny Depp in that role or something like that. It's a completely different movie. I don't know that anybody else could have played it. It just makes you sad that you don't get to see Baby all the other roles. That it be, yeah, maybe Keanu. Keanu, yeah, that would have been again. I could see again, kind of soulful, right? A guy who could pull off the action stuff, but still be able to show enough emotion or let you relate to him and uh, that kind of thing. Keanu was probably a fair comp, but but Brandon Lee was so perfect with just he was was he not? I mean, dude, if he was a member of Nirvana, would it would surprise you? Like, I mean, the dude, oh. the, he was just like perfect for that era dude like I, I don't know. yeah but that's just a look for the film i mean and that's great i mean but he pulled it off i don't know keanu might have been too old for it like it was perfectly yeah, well, the done. thing is the, the crow it, brandon lee is the crow and that's the way it'll always be and i don't care how many remakes or sequels or whatever they do that's what it's always going to be for me man you know so yeah it's again it's one of those roles that it's just so ingrained to him but before this i I do remember seeing uh was it a rumble little tokyo and uh rapid fire especially and even though those were more of kind of b movies you could tell he had the chops kind of he was still figuring out that the acting stuff a little bit but he had the action stuff down and here it really looked like he was getting a grip on it i i really think he had star quality like he would have been absolutely you know if nothing i'm sure he would have been fine forever he could have lived off conventions after this movie or whatever but i think he really could have been like a real you know a real star star yeah i agree 100 percent dude totally agree but but real quick while we're on the topic here of of sequels um there was supposed to be another sequel all right and this one was going to be called the crow 2037 which was supposed to be written and directed by rob zombie this was going to be in the late 90s it never happened unfortunately 
I'm in, but but Soup, you're a big Rob Zombie guy. Would you have been interested in this one? I would have been, yeah, I would have been interested, but I would have wanted to know more about it. Like I could see that working, but again, I'm a, I'm I'm really not all for fucking with this movie, you know. If anyone's gonna do it, Rob Zombie doing it would have been many. Yeah, I would rather see that. Cool. I would rather see that than right, right. It would be like Rob Zombie or like Tim Burton. Like those are the two. Yeah, that maybe Tim Burton because uh, Tim Burton doing a lot of similarities. Cool. A lot of similarities between the the visuals in The Crow and like Batman and stuff. It yeah. kind of gives that same kind of like Gotham Gothic kind of vibe, you know, as far as visually. One hundred percent. Well, as we've mentioned, we've kind of dipped you know, dipped a toe in the deep end here, but we might as well come out and just say it. They have gotten around to the reboot of The Crow. Uh, they wrapped production, uh, as Soup mentioned, on the reboot September of 2022. And Bill Skarsgård, uh, the brother of Alexander Skarsgård, is actually starring as Eric Draven. I like that, actually. It's got a budget of around 50 million bucks, and it filmed in Prague and Munich. So definitely an international piece here uh, with Czech and German um, background, which should make it awesome. Anybody have any interest in seeing this? I know we touched on it briefly, but just like, yes or no, are you watching this? Yeah, I don't think necessarily that it'll be set in Europe. I mean, it could be, uh, but my guess is they're going there for some of that Gothic architecture or whatever, which is better than filming on green screen. Dude, 100%. I mean, we think we're old in America. Go into a, you know, cathedral that's like 1300. Like, yeah, that's old. That's going to be awesome, dude. That has me more excited than anything about it. I love the backdrop potential. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what they do with the storyline and everything else. Like, again, I'm I'm not really 100% for fucking with this movie at all, but it's 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 definitely more promising than any of the so-called sequels have been. So I, I, in that regard, I'm kind of looking forward to it. We'll see. Just out of curiosity, what would you prefer if they just maybe had a character called Eric Draven, but he basically has a, his own story completely, or them, you know, kind of try to adhere a little bit towards the movie? I think it'd be hard to do because what do you, where do you go from it? Like it's only one story. Like what does he go from there? You know, it's, he's not like a Batman where he's just like a crime fighter. Like he's he's avenging his own shit, and once he's done that, then he goes to heaven. In the course of that, he's done. You know, so that's where I don't feel like sequels and shit really belong. Other people's stories, maybe like maybe it's also happened to somebody else that I could get. You know, which I know they've tried to do in the sequels. They just wanted they just didn't decide. Rebooting this movie and it's just a complete reboot. I don't know how much I don't know how much I'm gonna like that, but we'll see, man. Dude, I appreciate that insight actually because that kind of gives you a cool angle. Like you're right. Like this isn't a story that really continues, right? Like he got his revenge and it's done. If you just want to redo it, it's like eh, okay. Like I'll watch it, but like it was pretty awesome the first time. So what value do you add to it, really? You know. So I, I'm with you. There's too many reboots. There's not enough original shit anymore. Like writers out there in the world do your own thing dude stop trying to cop somebody else's shit that's that's been happening for a minute mills man you know we wouldn't want to uh you know cop someone else's shit but let me make a seinfeld reference i think i know the answer here but i have to ask what do y'all think is the crow sponge worthy it's a solid yes for me how about yourselves is the crow sponge worthy yes 100 percent might have to buy the whole uh, the whole gross or whatever they sold them as back in the day. That means it's time to give a grade to the crow. A group of crows is called a murder, and there's plenty of murder in this flick, so let's just go ahead. We'll go with that. So on a scale of 1 to 10 murders, how many are you giving to the crow? My turn to go first. 
I'm going to 86 the joint. Give me 8.6 murders. She wrote murders of crow murders in the building murders in Detroit. A lot of murders on devil night. Jamie G. How many murders you give another crow? Considering I can't find a whole lot that I don't like about this one. I'm, I'm giving this one 9.5 murders. I mean, this is just, yeah, dude, this is really good. 9.5 murders. Not a whole lot wrong with this one. It rocks. Dude, I'm right with you. I just don't know how to give a point five of a murder. You either murder something or you don't. So I'm gonna have to just attempted murder. Attempted murder. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, manslaughter, attempted murder. You have degrees. Yeah, Yeah, no, nine solid murders. No, no botched murders. Nine solid ones, man. (laughs) I feel like I feel like I'm dick moving, but I think I'm, I'm in my head. I'm downgrading a little bit just because Brandon Lee died during the making of it. That's kind of, dude. I don't know. That's kind of fucked up, man. It's not like he intended to, dude. Like, but the movie killed him. The movie literally killed him. Not, but I don't know, man. That was it's not the movie's fault. The movie didn't mean to do it. Maybe we'll do a separate episode, a separate podcast. Would you count that as a point five of a murder then? But no, that's a real murder. That's why. That's like a whole one. I didn't know point five. We're trying to get to a movie. You better get going. You don't want to miss one second of that movie. Is it that good? <laughs> it's the best goddamn movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh. Dude hangs dumb. I, I told you! I told you! I don't want to miss that! Finally, it's time to decide what we're going to watch for our next episode. This is the part that always excites me. We're all going to pitch something and then vote on the winner, all right? You cannot vote for your own Johnson here, so you can't vote for yourself. If there's a tie, we spin the wheel of fortune, the wheel in the sky. Keeps on burning. Keeps on turning. This is our seventh episode, and every seventh episode is just like the Sabbath. We're not going to take a day of rest, but we are going to re-pitch a movie or show that we previously nominated. Magnum Mills, remind us, what are our options, bro? I'm taking notes. What did I pitch? Here's the deal. I can pitch True Romance, White Men Can't Jump, or Commando. Jamie G can pitch the pilot episode of Inside Job, the pilot episode of Arcane, The Human Centipede, or Heathers. Soup can pitch the Tacoma FD pilot, Wonderland, Snatch, Kingpin, or The Wall. Wow. (laughs) There's a lot of choices here, dude. I'm pumped for this. If you guys aren't fired up right now, check and see if you have a pulse. All right, Mills, you're up first here, followed by yours truly, Jamie G. Esquire, the fifth. And then finally, Soup Deucer. We'll close us out. Mills, send us on our way. Hey, send me on my way. Hey, send me on my way. You know what's crazy is this is this tells you how little I little I've won. Mills, I think, had three options of pitching, where I had like at least a handful. <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> I mean, at least a handful. That's how I like my titties. I actually, I think dated a, stri- or a stripper once, named uh, at least a handful. At least a handful. I love it. <laughs> Here's the deal, dude. I'm up first, and I'm just going to make it easy. I'm pitching True Romance. I don't really need to say anything else. There's so much we can talk about it on this. It has the Christian Slater like Jamie G likes. It's great. Everyone should watch it if you have it. I want to watch it again. I want to talk about it. True Romance, Jamie G. Man, Mills kicks me off of the fire starter here. I just real quickly, you guys can fucking hate me if you want, but I'm going to make a point here. Pilot episode Inside Job and the pilot episode Arcane deserve their piece, Arcane especially. 
If you haven't watched Arcane, go out there and do it. Do it now, Arnold style. That thing is coming out. Uh, I hope later this year, actually. It's just a piece of true brilliance. Arcane, I cannot stress enough. Human Centipede, I want to watch deeply, but I don't think I'll win it. So that leads me to Heathers. We're doing a Christian Slater runoff, dude. I'm talking Heathers. Go back. You want to talk about late 80s, early 90s? You want to talk about struggles as a teen? All right, we're talking high school. We're talking Heathers. We're talking Christian Slater peak. We're talking also killer soundtrack. Let's go, Heathers. Not really huge. I'm talking about teen troubles, but all right, whatever you want to talk about. Sue. <laughs> this is tough, man. All right. Well, not so much because out of out of all my uh, options here, my repitch is uh, I'll do it for the caravan. I'm going with Snatch, dude. Snatch is one we could definitely talk a lot about. There's so much there. I'd really be looking forward to uh, breaking that one down, man. So uh, I like dogs. Snatch it is. Goddamn gypsies. All right, Mills. Recap our options here and remind us what order we are voting in. The Subducer pitched the Boris the Blade classic snatch. Jamie G wants to do the teenage thing. He's pitching Heathers. I am pitching a better Christian Slater movie in True Romance. And we vote in reverse of the order in which we nominated. So the soup producer votes first, followed by Jamie G. And then I am potentially the decider. Wow. Soupy. Err, this thing, broski. Err. In case y'all didn't know, I'm a huge Christian Slater fan ever. Anyway, I always have been, man. I love his old shit too. But there's no way I'm not voting for true romance on this one, man. Because I have recently pitched it on a uh, silver screen and everything back in the day i've been wanting to talk about this one and i definitely could rewatch this movie at any fucking point in time because uh i mean it's just it's just fucking awesome on every level so true romance is my vote well mills you know you you started this vote session uh thinking you might be the decider but guess what my dude you are not going to be the cider because I'm voting for True Romance too. I can't not do it. Don't get me wrong. Snatch is epic. I hope we get to it. I can't vote for my own Johnson Heathers. I hope we get to that too one day. But dude, we're doing True Romance. I cannot wait. James Gandolfini, best line of the movie. First one's the bitch of the bunch. Cannot wait to break this down. Mills, give us your fake vote because it doesn't even matter. We're doing true romance but i do want to know for shits and gigs who you'd go with you sealed it for me dude snatch is epic snatch is epic and speaking of epic regular dudes watch stuff is pretty fucking epic thank you for checking out regular dudes watch stuff we greatly appreciate you and uh yeah man appreciate you checking us out please remember go ahead like subscribe that way you don't miss anything we do because it's all pretty awesome check us out having a few drinky poos talking about shit if you got a good movie or a show that you'd like us to talk about let us know man because we will do it and we'll do it good let us know hit us up on social meds or drop us a line in the comment of this youtube video podcast wherever you're checking us out Mills. People hate when I say Magnum Mills, but I'm Jamie G. Square the fifth, and I demand the opportunity to say Magnum Mills. So go ahead and remind everybody where to find us. You just do the uh, the Z thing because you can't actually roll your R's. If you were, could roll your R's, you would do so, but you're just, you know, don't fake the fuck on a nasty dunk, friendo. 
And thank you for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Find us wherever you get your pod. Just search for Regular Dudes Watch Stuff on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. Go ahead and search for us on YouTube, or you can go to JoeBlowFootballShow.com. Brings you right to our YouTube channel. Thanks a lot for checking us out. We're, you know, regular, but not extra regular, unless you like that kind of thing. Thanks again for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We'll be back next week to cover True Romance. We'll see you then. Peace out. Peace, guys.